0: This morning, we're taking a break from our regular series, because it's Father's Day, and we want to talk about fatherhood a little bit this morning, and what an opportunity fatherhood really is. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at a variety of scriptures, but before we do, let me have a word of prayer for us, and then I want to, I'm going to show you a picture. I want to tell you a little story behind it, but let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together today, and we thank you, Lord, on this day, on this Father's Day for your fatherly love, your fatherly leadership, and we thank you for the men that that model that to others. Lord, we're just so grateful to be blessed in that way, and we're so grateful for the example that you have set us, that you invite us to follow, and you empower us to follow. And so we pray that now as we take a look at your Word and a variety of things that you show us from your Word, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to know you in a, a more deeper and a clearer way And we pray that we would take the things that you've demonstrated for us in Scripture and that we would demonstrate these things to our children and to those that you've placed in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other day I came across a picture that was taken about 15 years ago, and I'm going to bring it up on the screen in just a sec, but I'll wait just a moment. It's actually a picture of my grandfather. Uh, my father, one of my sons, and me. And we were dressed in nice clothing, so I'm guessing we, we must have been at some sort of formal event. But even as I looked at the picture, and I was trying to remember the context that it was taken in. I couldn't remember when it was taken, but this is the picture. So I came across this, and uh, so, yeah, there's my dad, there's my grandfather, there's me, and there's my son, Jay. And it's kind of interesting when you look at this here, because we we all have the same name, so anyone you point to on that screen, if you refer to them as John Stongy, that's you would be accurate. My grandfather is John Stongy Junior. He's not even senior. All right, my great grandfather was senior, but he's John Stongy Junior. And that's John Stongy the third, the fourth, and the fifth. And Jay tells me that if the Lord blesses him with the son someday, he's he's aiming to take it to number six, which means that that child will never be able to fill out an automatic form online. Because in the suffix drop-down, when do you ever see it go to number six, right? You know, almost never, although I did see recently there was an option that took it all the way to 10. So if the Lord lets this chain keep going, I, don't, I know I'm not going to be around for number 10, but there is one website somewhere that does have a drop-down menu that lets you put number 10. There's a few things that stand out to me about that picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. I'm glad that it exists because my grandfather's with the Lord now. And uh, obviously, you know, this this is a long time ago. This is 15 years ago. But the first thing that stands out to me about this picture is that it was taken on purpose. You know, this is not an accidental picture. I think all four of us, being that we share the same name, someone must have suggested, hey, why don't the four John Stongeys stand together, and let's just get a picture of the four of you guys together and, and do this. And so, so we did that. I don't remember who took the picture, probably my wife, but I don't know for sure. I don't remember where we were, but I'm, again, I'm glad the picture exists. So it was taken on purpose. And second, when I look at it, we're all smiling. So obviously, we were happy to be together or at least willing to pretend for the photo, Right. Uh, but no, we were all happy to be together, happy to, to spend time together, but there's something else that stands out to me about this picture, and I brought it up to my son the other day when we went out together for lunch. I showed him the picture, and I asked him to confirm if I was reading his expression correctly in the picture. So I don't know how well you could see his face uh, from where you are, but, uh, but his expression reminds me of the kind of face that I used to make when I was his age when my father and my grandfather would include me in something that they were doing when I was young, because all I wanted to do when I was young is whatever those two men were doing. Whatever they were doing, that's what I wanted to do, because I was very conscious of the fact that I had the same name, that I was the one that was now carrying on this name, so I wanted to do what my predecessors were doing, and so whatever they were working on, I wanted to work at. Whatever they were, wherever they were going, I wanted to go. Whatever was going on, I wanted to be part of it, And when they would include me in different things, you could definitely tell just by looking at me that I felt quite happy to be there. And so when I looked at that picture and I looked at my son's face closely, it looked to me like he was proud to be welcomed into that group, you know, with like the good kind of of pride, right? He was, he was pleased to be welcomed into that group, and so when I showed him that picture the other day, I asked him, I said, do you think that's what you were thinking based on when you look at your face? Do you think that's what was going through your mind? And he said, oh yeah, absolutely, that's exactly how I would have felt, exactly. And I, I thought that was cool, and I was glad that I came across it. I thought it was well-timed, even, you know, this week as I was just kind of thinking about Father's Day. Um, all of us have fathers, right? Every one of us has a father. Some of us are fathers, Some of us will be fathers someday, and others are currently raising future fathers. So we have some sort of fatherhood tie here, one way or another. And wherever you are on that spectrum, I hope that you realize that fatherhood provides a great opportunity to help others develop a deeper understanding of God. Now, I don't think that fatherhood is valued in our culture the way it ought to be, But among believers, one of the things that I think Scripture makes it very clear to us should be the case is that we as believers should hold fatherhood in high esteem because it's a concept that demonstrates the heart of God. And it also provides a variety of opportunities. And I want to share just four of those opportunities with us this morning as Scripture makes these things clear. So what kind of opportunities does fatherhood provide? Well, the first opportunity that I think fatherhood provides is this. It's the opportunity to demonstrate the heart of God. And the first scripture we're going to look at today is from Matthew chapter 18. It's the longest section of scripture we're going to be looking at. But in Matthew 18, chapter, or Matthew 18, verse 1, down to verse 6, we can see the heart of God demonstrated. And fatherhood gives us the opportunity to demonstrate the heart of God as well. But here you see the heart of God demonstrated in how Jesus interacts with children. And this is what it says starting with verse 1 of Matthew 18. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? By the way, when you look at that statement that they say, don't you feel like that would be a rather bold thing to come up to Jesus and ask? Because scripture reveals that they were arguing about that. This is the type of thing they were arguing about. What a thing to argue about, right? Who's the greatest? And I think a big part of it was they wanted to know which one of us will be greatest. We know Peter is the most outspoken, but I'm the nice one, right, Jesus? You know, I'm the courteous one. I'm organized. You guys make a mess. I'm, you know, like, I wonder what they were debating. But it says they came up to Jesus. They want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 2 tells us, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 5, he says this, "...whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea." It's a very specific thing that Jesus is saying there in that portion of Scripture. Now, it's been widely said, and I definitely believe that it's true, that your relationship with your earthly father will most definitely impact your perception of God one way or another. So if you had a healthy relationship with your dad, it's very likely that you're going to assume the best about your heavenly father. And if your relationship with your earthly father, in your opinion, was deficient in one way or another, I think you're actually going to, 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 to need your heavenly father's help to begin seeing your heavenly father from the, a perspective that is not negatively tainted by the actions or the behaviors of your earthly father. And in John 14, verse 9, Jesus makes a statement. He says, Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Remember that statement Jesus makes in John 14? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Jesus is one with the father. And he came to demonstrate the Father's heart in very real and tangible ways, very visible ways. And in my opinion, one of the clearest ways that Jesus demonstrated the heart of God was through His interaction with children. And we see that on display here in Matthew chapter 18. It's very clear that the Lord values the life of every child. It's very clear that the Lord loves every child. Child. He demonstrates that in multiple ways, but very clearly in Matthew chapter 18. In fact, here when the disciples were arguing about what greatness in the kingdom of God looks, looked like, you have Jesus here making it clear that to even be part of the kingdom of God, we need to approach him with the humble heart of a child. And that seems very difficult the older we get. You know, we were talking about this even in Bible study uh, on Wednesday night, how the older we get, the further from that we can start to drift a proud, unbelieving heart will never receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. But those who are willing to trust the Lord with childlike faith certainly will receive such a welcome. And while Jesus was making this all clear to the disciples, he also made it clear that the nature of God is to be fiercely protective of his children. Now, I like that. I like that demonstration. I like that example. In fact, Jesus reveals here that it would be better to be drowned in the sea than to cause a little one to sin. Be better to, and he doesn't just say drown in the sea, he says, with a giant stone that's going to take you straight to the bottom. That's very forceful language. And he's, he's being creative on purpose to, to emphasize the depth of the love of God. This isn't accidental. This isn't casual. He's demonstrating the fact that God is loving and protective in a very fierce way. And I love the way he demonstrates that here, because there's no mincing words about it. There's no ambivalence to it. Jesus revealed to us that God is loving. He revealed to us that God is welcoming. He revealed to us that God is protective. You are a treasure to God. And if he blesses you with the privilege to either influence a child or raise a child in any way, you're being given an opportunity to demonstrate his heart to that child. God treasures the time you spend in fellowship with him as well, even if some of the people in your day-to-day life may not treasure the time that you try to spend with them. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Charles Francis Adams. You ever hear that name, Charles Francis Adams? He was a, a 19th century political figure. He was a diplomat. He also kept a diary. It seemed to be more common back in the day for people to keep a diary. They'd keep a journal of all the details of their life. And one day he entered this in his diary. Imagine, if you, imagine entering this in your diary. This is what he put. He said, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. That's what he said. Went fishing with my son today, dash, a day wasted. Now, it's kind of odd and ironic, but his son, Brooke Adams actually kept a diary as well, and his diary is still in existence. And on that same day, his son also made an entry in his diary. And historians have compared the two, and Brooke Adams in his diary said this, went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day in my life. See, here you have a, a father who thinks that he's wasting his time by spending the day fishing with his son, and his son looks at it as an investment in time. And isn't it nice to know that our God never considers time that you and I spend with him wasted? He very clearly demonstrates his desire for his children to be in his presence and does not consider the time that you desire to spend with him as wasted time, nor does he consider it wasted to spend time on you or in you or with you. So fatherhood is an opportunity to demonstrate the heart of God. It's also an opportunity to to shape the culture. Now think about this for in a very real way, because we live in a day and age that, that I think really needs some shaping by some godly fathers. Wouldn't you agree? You know, I look at this day and age and I think, oh my goodness, show up. Make sure you show up. You know, if the Lord gives you the opportunity to influence a young life for Christ, make sure you show up to do that, because it's an opportunity to shape the culture. I love what scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 2, when you look at verse 15 down to verse 17, it says this, Now, I'll say this, as a father, I have tried as best as I know how to communicate truth to my children. I have told them about Jesus. I have explained the scriptures to them. I have attempted to pass along the wisdom that the Lord has shared with me to them. I also spend considerable amounts of time in prayer for them, probably more time than they realize. But I don't think the words I share with them or the, the wisdom that I try to convey to them is going to matter much to them if I don't demonstrate that those words actually matter to me as well. They will, be at, they will be able to see what matters to me by how I live my life. I could use a whole bunch of words, I could say a whole bunch of things, but they're actually going to see what matters most to me by how I choose to live my life. So if I tell them that I value Jesus, if I tell them that I value Following Christ, and that that it's important to me not to be wrapped up in the desires of this world, while at the same time I am still chained to worldly desires. They can rightly assume that, that the things that I'm saying are not the things that I actually deeply believe. You know, they would be accurate in making that assumption if my life and my words don't actually line up. But thankfully, I'm confident that my children know exactly what I believe, and I'm grateful to see the impact. That I see that that is having on them, and as I observe that in my own household and in the households of others, you know, as I have watched through the years, people that I consider examples of fatherhood to me, and I see the impact that they have on their household and the impact that that then has on the culture, also becomes clear to me that the more fathers choose to embrace and and, and look at it as an opportunity that the Lord's given to them, uh, this opportunity to teach, this opportunity to model the gospel for their children. I believe that the entire culture will be impacted by that example. I think if fathers truly embrace that, wherever you are along that journey, whether you have young children, whether you have older children, whether you're a grandfather, whether you're someone who is raising a child who eventually one day will become a father, that's an opportunity to shape the entire culture. And it's the type of thing that we, we need to say. It's got to start, obviously, you know, with us actually enunciating the words of what it means to follow Christ. But those words are actually going to be believed when they're backed up with a life. They're going to be backed up with a lifestyle that actually demonstrates that they're true. And as they're backed up, as they're spoken, as, and, and then as they're backed up, you have a household that's changed. As you have a household that's changed, what happens to those kids as they grow up? Well, the Lord sends them as ambassadors and missionaries in all sorts of areas, in their places of employment, in the places that they go to school. I remember having a conversation with my kids when we first moved here 13 years ago. And uh, I said to them, I said, you know, guys, we're we're moving here uh, to do a work in relation to getting a church going, right? We want to get this church going. But it's not just mom and dad here that are focused on this. One of the things that we encouraged them to understand as they went to the local school was we asked them to see themselves as missionaries in their local school. See yourself as missionaries. You know, see yourself as missionaries. And, uh, and when you look at some of the, the early kids that came and were part of the kids program, you know, many of them were their friends that they started inviting. And so I look at this, I look at fatherhood as an opportunity to change an entire culture, but it begins with your household being changed as the gospel is modeled for the children that the Lord blesses you with. And then that impacts schools, and then it starts to impact you know, colleges, and then it starts to impact places of employment, and then it starts to impact households that come from those children that then model the gospel. It has a generational impact, and the culture is the better for it. There's something else I think fatherhood provides an opportunity for that I think is worth noting, and that's this. It's the opportunity to lead like Jesus. Well, what does it look like to lead like Jesus? What does the the leadership of Jesus actually look like when it's demonstrated? Well, Jesus gives us a great example of this in John chapter 13. When you look at verses 14 and 15, it says this. Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. I love that. Jesus says, for I have given you an example. I've given you an example. I've shown you how this is done. Do the exact thing you've seen me doing. You know, Do this for others. I have done this for you. Now you do this for others. Let this be your mindset. Let this be your attitude. Let this be your behavior. Let this be the same type of thing that you're willing to live out in your context. Lead like This and you remember the reaction of the disciples when Jesus did this. They were stunned. And I actually think they felt a bit uncomfortable. And yet Jesus was willing to do this anyway. He gives us the opportunity to lead like him. The other day, Andrea and I had the opportunity to have dinner with one of their one of her pastors from childhood, who who, you know, she grew up about seven hours from here. But one of uh, her youth pastors growing up has now moved not too far away, and we decided to meet up kind of halfway between where they live in New Jersey and where we live here, and we found a diner that's halfway between, and Andrea and I decided to have dinner with her former pastor and his wife. And these were people that I I had the opportunity to meet when I was in college, I've had the opportunity to interact with a couple times since then, but they were a great example of leadership to my wife. And many of the things that they modeled had an impact on how we chose to do things. They were the type of people that would always invite young people over their home, and people would stay there for long periods of time, and uh, they would, they, you know, just like really felt welcomed in their household. And so Andrea and I decided, we're like, all right, you know, if the Lord gives us opportunity to serve in this way... We want to demonstrate that kind of hospitality. And so it's kind of entertaining to me because I, as I look around the room, there's a few of you that we have known since you were teenagers. I'm even looking over here. Amanda, I'm looking in your direction because I think we first met you when you were, I don't know, 13, 14, somewhere in that, in that range. And she could tell you that we're not making that up because how many times did you and your, your family spend you know long periods of time hanging out at our house, you know, get, getting pizza late in the evening, doing all that and, and, uh, and enjoying that. And Andrea and I, we always kind of had it in mind that, that Pastor Chuck and his wife Pat kind of set a great example for us. So you could blame Chuck and Pat for all those you know, late night experiences, people hanging out at our house because they demonstrated hospitality. But I also thought it was interesting that as we went and we were preparing to have a meal with them, people that were an example of leadership to us, that on the way, when we got down to Pendell, and we were about to turn left because we were going to take 95 south to get there to meet them, uh, we happened to see a family walking on the sidewalk. And the dad was leading the pack, and he was holding a baby. And the mom was right there with him, and she had the hands of a young boy and a young girl. And they were just out for a family walk. And the dad had a T-shirt on, and it said, in big, bright letters, Dad. That's it. So there was no mistaking his role in this family, right? He was leading his family through Pendel. And then mom had a t-shirt on and it said something very distinct and specific. It said mom. And then I looked at the children. I was like, wait, what do their shirts say? The son on his shirt said son. The daughters said daughter. And I was like, all right, this is very specific. It was very specific. There's no mistaking their roles in this family. But as we were turning the corner, as we were seeing this, I, I said to Andrea, I said, can I just admit to you that I love that? I, I love that. I love the fact that here's a, a, a dad out with uh, his, his wife and with their children, and he's leading the pack, and he's just leading the family through Pendell into Langhorn here out on a beautiful evening for a family walk. And there is no shame in his game, right? It's very clear to the world, and every car passing by you know my role in this family, dad. And in case you didn't know, I bought the t-shirt, but I'm earning this t-shirt with every step I'm taking on this beautiful evening. I loved it. And I, I, I just said to Andrea, I said, I love seeing that. I think that's beautiful to see because I think fatherhood provides a wonderful opportunity to lead. And the wisest fathers demonstrate the heart of Jesus in their leadership. Do they not? The wisest fathers demonstrate the heart of Jesus in their leadership. And there's a big difference, and I've said this before, but there's a big difference between leading people and bossing people around. Many people in this world make the mistake of believing that leadership and bossing are the same thing, but they aren't. A boss barks out orders and then tells you to do the things he's not willing to do himself. And a leader does the opposite. A leader invites you to join him in doing the the hard things that he's also willing to do, and that's exactly what Jesus demonstrated for us here in John chapter 13, that he was willing to do hard things, and he was inviting us to join him in that kind of activity, but he wasn't saying, you go first. He was saying, I will go first. I will go first, and I will show you what it looks like to get my hands dirty. I will show you what it looks like to humble myself. I will show you what it looks like to serve others even when people are sometimes resistant to that service. He wasn't hesitant to display a servant's heart. He wasn't hesitant to display biblical humility toward other people. Now, just imagine the impact it would have on marriages and on parental relationships and families in general if we took Jesus' example to heart. If this was something that we said, you know what, leadership is an opportunity to lead like Jesus, with the servant heart of Jesus Christ. Fatherhood is a golden opportunity to do just that. And I'm grateful for the men that look to the example of Jesus and actually live it out. Men who look to the example that Jesus gave us by washing the disciples' feet and demonstrating their willingness to do the exact same thing in the service that they provide and the sacrifices that they make for their wives and children. It's a demonstration of the heart of Christ and it's a beautiful thing to see. When it's lived out. Because most people in this world aren't really eager to serve other people. Most people in this world are really just eager to be served. But fatherhood is a great opportunity to lead like Jesus with service, with sacrifice, with humility, willing to get your hands dirty, just like Christ was willing to do. And it's one other thing as I see it from Scripture. Fatherhood is a great opportunity to lay your life down. Lay your life down. Probably the hardest of the things that we've looked at today. Look at what it tells us in 1 John 3.16. In 1 John 3.16, it says this, By this we know love. So you have the Apostle John being very specific. He's saying, all right, if you want to see the ultimate demonstration of love, this is what it is. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. So here you have John telling us that the example that Jesus gave to us is the example that we should follow. Again, he says, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Exactly two years ago, Friday, so Friday was, was uh, June 18th, exactly two years ago, something took place. I'm just going to read to you a brief uh, snippet from the news and what they had to say about it. It was related to a man named Chris Schultz. I don't know if that name is familiar to anybody, Uh, but Chris Schultz, this is what it says about him. It says, Chris Schultz's family is sharing his story of heroism after the 31-year-old gave his life to save his son on Father's Day weekend. He loved his kids more than life itself, said Chris's brother, Ryan Olson. Everyone says it, but he proved it. Schultz leapt into action after his three-year-old son, Ashton, fell off Longbridge in Detroit Lakes on Saturday. Ashton, being a curious, adventurous three-year-old, crawled through the rail and fell, Olson said. Someone saw it, and Chris went over instantly. Olson says his brother managed to get Ashton to the surface, but he struggled to keep his own head above water as he handed his son off to a woman near the shore. Chris was holding on to her as well as best as he could, but then he couldn't hang on, and he let go, and unfortunately, he didn't make it. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. When I heard that, I, I, uh, I read it, and then I watched video of the brother talking about his brother who had given that sacrifice, and I thought, wow. And I debated. I thought, should I share that with our church family? And I thought, boy, did you know, when you think of the example that Christ modeled for us, and you see that lived out in a, a father's life very recently, I thought, you know, I'm going to share that, but why would a father do that? You know, why would a father, and, and, and his brother, as he was recalling, you know, what had taken place, he said he, he responded instantly. He jumped in instantly. So he wasn't calculating risk to himself in that moment, right? He's jumping in instantly to do this. Why would a father do that? When I look at that, I actually think that that's something instinctively that that the Lord puts in a man that demonstrates the fact that we were actually created in God's image. I think a moment like that demonstrates that we were created in the image of God, and there's no greater example of that kind of sacrifice and that kind of sacrificial love than what we see demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle John was trying to demonstrate to the early church when he was explaining these things in 1 John chapter 3. The Apostle John made it a, 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 a he made a point here to remind the church over and over again that God is loving by nature; He's the perfection of love, and that love was on full display in the life and in the ministry and in the eventual death of Jesus Christ. And when someone wants to know what real love looks like, all they need to do is look to the, to the example of Jesus, who willingly laid down his life for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, the Savior for the sinner. That's what Christ demonstrated for us. We don't deserve the love of Jesus. By the way, do you ever complain to God? I have. So I'm just going to admit to you that there are times in my life that I have complained to God. And this is how ridiculous it is to complain to God. Because when you complain to God, you're basically saying to Him, Lord, I'm not receiving what I deserve. Now, think about that for a second. Is there any of us that really wants what we deserve from God? And so every time I've complained to God, I'm basically saying, Lord, I'm not getting what I deserve. Essentially, that's what a complaint is, right? I'm thinking I deserve something else than what I'm receiving. Well, we don't deserve the love of Jesus. The only thing we've ever did to deserve what he chose to do for us was rebel against him and goof everything up. That's the only thing I've ever done to deserve the love of God. I rebelled against him and goofed everything up, And because I goofed everything up and because I rebelled against him, he demonstrated his love toward me, toward you, toward all of us in the gracious gracious way that he's chosen to do so. We had nothing to offer him other than our long list of mistakes. That's the only thing I could offer him. Here's the long list of mistakes that demonstrates how much I need you. That's the only thing I have to offer. My admission that I need you. That I can't fix the problem that I've made. And so Jesus showed his love for us by laying down his life for us. And if our faith in him is genuine, I think we would be willing to do the same for those that we love as well. If I openly proclaim that I love Jesus Christ who laid down his life for me, I need to be willing to do the same for those that I'm claiming that I love. And that's what John is saying in 1 John 3.16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. And it's interesting, I I always get a kick out of this. When I'm doing marriage counseling, do you know what a lot of marital problems come down to? One or both people being really intensely selfish. And I have sat down with a variety of men who have said, you know, I would lay down my life for my wife. And then I'll ask them things like, does she ever get to pick the restaurant? Does she ever get to, you know, decide where you go on date night? Does she ever get to pick what you watch on TV? How much input does she have on vacation? Who picked the side in color? It's like, hey, could you stop making it awkward right now? You know? But the point being is like, we'll say, oh yeah, I'll lay down my life. We just picture this as like a blaze of glory right at the end. It's like, how about you do it in little bits every day all along the way? What would your household look like? What would your marriage look like? What would your parenting relationships look like if you just do it a little bit at a time and don't just save it all for one blazing glory moment, right? Fatherhood provides a great opportunity to demonstrate the heart of God, to shape the culture, to lead like Jesus, and to lay down your life. And I want to read one last thing as we finish up this morning. This is something that was recently shared anonymously on Bible.org, but I thought it was a useful summary of what fatherhood really teaches us, and it's something I think the Lord has demonstrated for us in a variety of ways. But it tells us this, related to fathers, it says, He teaches kindness by being thoughtful and gracious, even at home. Fathers teach patience by being gentle and understanding over and over. A father teaches honesty by keeping his promises to his family, even when it costs A father teaches courage by living unafraid, with faith, in all circumstances. A father teaches justice by being fair and dealing equally with everyone. A father teaches obedience to God's Word by precept and example as he reads and prays daily with his family. A father teaches love for God and his church by taking his family regularly to the services. And the Father's steps are important because others follow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word together today and to think about the things that you've revealed to us in it. And Lord, we recognize that on a day like today, a day that we as a culture celebrate fathers, that we as believers can, can look at this and think about this with some some real sobriety, some real seriousness, and realize that fatherhood provides a very powerful opportunity. Lord, in fatherhood, you give us the opportunity to demonstrate your loving heart and your just heart and the fact that you are the perfection of grace and the perfection of mercy. Lord, we know that we can't emulate you perfectly, But we do know that your image is within us, and we do know that you've made us a new creation. You've given us a new mind. You've given us a new heart. You've given us new values and a new perspective. You've demonstrated your heart through your son, Jesus Christ, and we see that example in how Christ operated around children and how he operated around adults that were acting like children. And Lord, we pray that as we deal with all sorts of things in our day-to-day life, that we would remember the example that you've set for us and that we, would, that we would truly see these opportunities that you've given to us as a great opportunity to reflect your heart. So Lord, thank you for our fathers. Thank you for those that you've placed in our lives that have treated us with fatherly compassion, whether they were our, our natural fathers or someone else that you graciously placed in our life that demonstrated that role. Thank you for those that you've given us the privilege to influence, and thank you for those that we have the privilege to raise who will one day influence others. We pray that it would all be wrapped up in the truth of your gospel, that the heart of your son, Jesus Christ, would be on full display, and that ultimately an entire culture would be changed because of what you're doing through the hearts of those who are willing to submit their hearts over to you and demonstrate love like you demonstrate it. So again, Father, on this Father's Day, we thank you for your fatherly love and compassion. We thank you for drawing us unto yourself, and we're thankful for the ways in which you treat us and protect us and, and hold us in your hand in a way that you assure to us multiple times in Scripture is very secure, that we're, holding in your, that we're being held in your hand, that you're holding us in your hand in a way that we cannot be yanked out of your fatherly protection So we thank you for this. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for the privilege to know you and to walk with you, and that you never consider time that you spend with your children as wasted time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.